All right. So the Dossier Podcast is back by popular demand. Today we have Julio Rosas. He is the publisher of Mostly Peaceful with Julio Rosas. It's Julio's name.substack.com. Um, I will put a link in the show notes. So Julio, you were just, or you are currently situated um, right near the Texas-Mexico border, correct? Yep, here here in Eagle Pass uh, at the center of this current fight between the Biden administration and, and, and Texas. Yeah, so the sense that I'm getting, at least nationally, is that you know people aren't necessarily sure if Abbott, although he just released apparently like a strongly worded statement, he's going to back the Texas Guard. Um, what are you seeing? What are you seeing on the ground? Is there a sense that there's actually going to be kind of like a like a Western, old Western showdown between the Texas National Guard and like federal officers? Yeah, no, in Mexico, they just call it a standoff. Um, but no, what? so what, what we saw today, what I was seeing today is that Yes, the Supreme Court ruled that the federal government does have uh, the authority to cut the Constantina wire that was placed. Uh, but the the problem is that for, for the feds is that Texas has sealed off this major staging area that has been used for the past three years for illegal immigrants. And so Texas has finally said enough. You know, you are not if you're going to only permit border patrol to allow illegal immigrants to process them released in the united states they're not going to do that here and so they still have it sealed off uh we we had media is given access and we're today we were seeing that they were not only adding uh you know barriers but they were they were improving on their designs they're they're now because there's two different there's two different barriers that that texas is using they're using concertina wire and razor wire. Razor wire is a little bit different. It's actually a little bit more sharper and, and, and it's designed differently. And so they're adding razor wire on top of the shipping container wall that Texas put down and they're placing it on top. And they're, because uh, part of the problem is that illegal immigrants, even though it had concertina wire on top of the shipping containers, illegal immigrants were kind of able to kind of climb over, put blankets, put clothes to kind of Tample, trample it down to allow them to then kind of hop over. And so with the new designs that the Texas Guard engineers actually created, um, that, that's going to severely minimize the, their ability to, to kind of hop over the, the wall. And, and what we were being told is that uh, they, they're really trying to just make it as intimidating as possible to just deter people from crossing, at least in that, in that area. Yeah, so you've been at the border a lot um, recently. You've traveled the world this year, basically, or last year, basically. Um, and I, I assume you've spoken to some of these um, illegals or migrants, or you know, some people call them dreamers. You know, whatever you want to call the the people not from the United States who enter the United States illegally. Um, what is? Have you spoken to to them? Like, is there a sense that? Um, like, are, are there, are the vibes high? How, how are the spirits on the other side of the fence? Like, is it, do they still think that like they're going to be able to enter into the United States pretty easily? Or do you think like this would be, this will be at least in this entry point, an effective mitigation measure? It, it, it depends because Eagle Pass is getting a lot of attention right now, just obviously because of what's, what's, what's happening at, you know, between the governments. But I mean, this is a nearly 2000 mile border. 
So, um, and even with Texas, there's, there's different areas controlled by different cartels and that allows for different types of migratory flow. Uh, so yeah. even it, so right now, uh, at least the migrants that are making their way to Piedras Negras, which is the town across from Eagle Pass in Mexico, it, it, it's a wait and see. And, and we see this, we've seen this happen uh, quite often, actually, especially like, for example, when Title 42 uh, finally went away last year. Uh, they, they, there was an expected rush um, afterwards, and there was in certain areas, but people didn't cross because they wanted to kind of see, okay, well, if people start crossing over, how are they going to be treated now that Title 42 is away? And when they saw that pretty much it remained the same in terms of they were processed and then released, that's why we then started to see an uptick in illegal crossings again. So it's kind of what's happening here right now where, okay, People in Mexico are seeing that Texas has taken over. They're seeing that they're fortifying it. Uh, then they're going to make a decision where, okay, well, we might still cross here or we might go further north or we might go further south and then cross in different areas. And so what I'll say is that even though the crossings have decreased in the Shelby Park area near the international bridges, there's still a lot of people that are illegally crossing. And now what we're seeing is that um, instead of right there in the town where they cross, they, they go to the ranches. And usually the ranches where people who are trying to be one of the gotaways, people who are trying to avoid border patrol. But now we're starting to see people surrender themselves on the ranches, which is very different from how it's normally been here. So, so what is the, because I know that there's, there's 20 something legal entry points for processing across the Southern border. What is the advantage to those who are like very um, don't have any familiarity with the issue? What is like what makes it um, lucrative for like the cartels to facilitate this type of business and for the people themselves to enter the country illegally and not use, you know, the the, the points of entry to try to come in the right way? So it's, it's lucrative for the cartels because what, what, what they do with these large crossings and with these people that want to give themselves up. So number one, it's guaranteed income because, you know, as opposed to drug smuggling, if, if, if police intercept their drug shipment, they lose out on that money. Uh, however, it, you know, it's very different now to where not only do people want to cross in larger numbers, but they, they're not afraid of getting caught. Uh, a lot of them want to be caught. They want to turn themselves in. So that's just money that they can collect up front. And then on the back end, once they're released, and then they start working legally or illegally within the United States to, to pay back that debt. So that's why they do it. But then also it's because when they overwhelm uh, certain areas with, you know, when we see the 500, 600 people crossing all at once, it sucks up all these resources. So uh, on the U.S. side, and so when all that attention on law enforcement is in this one area, like in Shelby Park, uh, then they're able to smuggle in drugs or people who don't want to be caught much easier because there's no American law enforcement personnel to actually be on the ground to intercept them. Uh, in terms of why people are paying them to do it is because they see, they have seen for the past three years now, where you know maybe they don't have the money to go through the process the right way, but you're, or their asylum claims are fraudulent, or they don't qualify for what you know what normally people can qualify under U.S. law for. And so they just know that if they do this, they claim asylum after they legally cross it and they turn themselves in, they'll get processed, they'll get released, and then they have to wait five, six, seven years for to, to continue the process uh, with, their, with their asylum case. 
uh, and that's a very long time, obviously. And a lot of them are going to start families and then they, and then they have kids and then the kids are born in U.S. soil. So then they're, they're American citizens. And so now they have kind of an anchor to keep them there. Uh, you know, should, you know, should their uh, claims start to be adjudicated at that point? Um, and, and what, what I am really trying to tell people right now is that let's say, yes, let's just say, you know, Trump takes back the white house in 2024. He can then, you know, day one, redo all the executive orders and the border can kind of go back to how it was under him, where it was a lot less people coming across, but there's still going to be this kind of backlog issue that's been building up for at that point, four years. And then, like I said, right now there's there's going to be a whole new generation of DACA that, and, and no one's really talking about that. Like, wait, we barely figured out what, what we're going to do with the first generation, you know, and, that, and that, that's all the way back during the Obama years. But now we're going to have four years of like I said, people who are going to be like the new generation of DACA and like children who are born from their parents who were kind of in this immigration limbo. So, so, so all that to say is that there's an advantage to where there's basically a guarantee that they get to stay in the United States for many, many years before they even see an immigration judge. Yeah, it, it's so crazy when you when you look at the numbers and, and, you know, a lot of them are just kind of estimate because most like a lot of these people aren't processed at all. Um, but, you know, this the scale of it is unbelievable that there's millions and millions of people coming into the country um, who have no intention of obtaining citizenship. And, um, you know, there's huge political ramifications for that. And there's like this big divide, I think, both on the right and the left on like how to approach this issue. Um, You know, there's people on the right who just say that, you know, the open border is a purposeful policy to import um, ideological uh, people who are going to vote Democrat at the end of the day. And, you know, the left says that criticizing the import, the mass migration is racist. And then you have some other people all over the place that, um, you know, don't don't know what to make of it. Um, but how do you see like this in terms of like the, the political dynamics effects in the United States and say, like, if we're having this conversation in 2030, like, let's say that, you know, the the anti, you know, illegal immigration or even anti-immigration um, proponents, let's say that, you know, this is um a, you know, completely factual claim, like how do these people end up becoming Democrat voters? Like they'd have to be processed and given citizenship eventually, right? Like, is that, do you think that's like, do you get a sense that that's like the plan in in Washington, D.C., that like there's legislators that just are going to try to like put 15 million people on the books? Like, because I know like there's this whole dreamers movement, of course, but you know, like, how do you see this this playing out politically? If you, if you've like thought about this at all from like a, a like a decade long perspective. So I know that the the kind of initial, as you were mentioning, the, the well, why are Democrats and why is the Biden administration allowing this? And then they say, well, it's to import new voters. I think that's a reason, but that's a very long term, you know, very forward thinking. Um, and I'm not saying that's like an invalid, you know, theory or you know, invalid thought. But really what it comes down to is why are they allowing this to happen? Like, why are they doing this? And for me, it's a very, it's very simple. It's just that they want to be the opposite of Trump. 
because Trump was very Trump was very good at moving the needle on the within the Republican Party to like actually campaign and try to actually like you know build the wall all this stuff. Now obviously there needs to be a follow through on that, but but as good as he was with moving the needle within the Republican Party on on the issue, he also did the same thing, but the opposite within the Democratic Party. So that's why even let's say Joe Biden, you know, for whatever reason, he doesn't make it to this year's election. Kamala Harris or whoever Democrats allow him to do this is like, well, we, they just want new voters. Um, I, I think that's a reason, but it's a very long term and it's a very forward thinking strategy on their end. And again, I'm not saying like that's not one of the motivating factors for allowing this to happen. But really what it just comes down to is just that they, they just simply want to be the opposite of Trump because Trump was very good at moving the needle within the Republican Party to actually make this a uh, one of the main issues that to, to campaign on. Now, obviously, you know, there needs to be follow through <laughs> once once Republicans are in charge to actually get things done. But you build the wall and and, you know, close the border. That, that's now just like a very common thing that you now associate with the Republican Party where not before that wasn't really the case. But the thing is that he also moved the needle within the Democratic Party. And so, you know, let's say Biden doesn't make it to 2024 for whatever reason, you know, Kamala Harris or any other national Democrat that would replace him would still continue the policies that have been ongoing since day one of his administration. Just just because it's like, well, well, Trump did it. So therefore, we have to do the opposite because what he did was bad and racist and all this other Stuff, which of course is complete nonsense because look at what it's led to because even i mean i remember very early on in this i was in roma texas and we were interviewing this coyote this 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 human smuggler who was in the middle of the river and he was telling us that oh you know of course he was telling us that it's very easy to do his job now you know there's so many people that want to come over and he but he, and we asked him well what is it you know just to get it on the record is it was it much harder to do your job under Trump? He said yes, but then he also said, but it was also hard under Obama. Uh, you know, during the Obama years. I mean, this is how long this guy's been doing it. And so, I mean, even Joe Biden back in the early two thousands. I mean, he voted to secure the for the, the he voted for the Secure Fence Act, and he bragged about it during during the presidential campaign uh, at one point. So, I mean, that just shows how far the Democratic Party has shifted on this issue. So. Um, it, it's, it's a very obviously juvenile way of doing politics and like national security, but that's, that's what, that's what they're doing. It's just that they, and it's on any issue, right? It's on any issue now related to Trump, um, that they have to do the opposite. You know, if he was for it, they're against it. If he was against it, then they're for it. Um, and, and it, it doesn't really get any more simpler than that. And that's just really one of the motivating factors. So like, yes, they do obviously probably want new voters and that's a way to get new voters, but that, that takes time. And that has to create the right conditions in order for that to actually come to fruition. In the meantime, the short term is just that, well, Trump did it, so therefore it's bad. So we have to do the opposite. Do you think there's also a sense of like, you know, this general sense of progressive liberal over empathy, like, you know, the whole like refugees welcome bumper sticker kind of idea. Do you think that's like, especially from like the progressive caucuses, you think that like these people just might not believe in the idea of national sovereignty and that, you know, it's just, it's also convenient that Trump and the right is, you know, they're, they're trying to position this as like a moral framework. And I'm sure that their constituents also, you know, support the idea 
Um, but it's interesting, you know, as you see in cities like New York and Chicago, when the illegal immigrants end up there, you know, they they go nuts. Like our governor DeSantis sent them to Martha's Vineyard, and you know, they they bust them out within uh, within hours of them being there. So, uh, you know, do you think that um, some of this has to do possibly like with just kind of like the political dynamics outside of Trump too, like the fact that Texas is a red state and they're just like, Hey, you should, you should take them in. It's like this like hypocritical thing that's going on in the U S where you have these liberal activists who, you know, wouldn't host migrants at their homes, but are, are happy to, you know, demand that they are allowed into the country, you know, like with those whole like AOC, uh, drama episodes on the border and whatnot. Do you think that's that's like driving a any percentage of like the policy here? I think yeah. I mean, there, there's that aspect too because again, it's it's a sense of like, well, the borders are wrong because colonialism and you know, yeah. you know, we stole the land from Mexico and it's like, well, no, we we won them in war. Uh, but so it it, it goes it, again. It just speaks to how much they view what America is and all of its past sins, quote unquote. And it, it's, it, you know, they're saying like, this is the consequences of, of what we, of what we've done. And that I would say that, you know, okay, fine. Sure. Central America. And, you know, we had involvement over there and obviously it wasn't always good, but, but as things stand today, you know, we, you, when we can't help other countries because I mean, that's, that's the Biden administration's approach, right? It's like, well, we got to fix the root causes in Central America and, and, and like, okay, that's fine, but here's the problem. Um, it's no longer just Central America. It's all these places, you know, 130 countries that are, you know, <laughs> people that are coming from to our southern border. So even if you were to solve all the problems in Central America, um, what about the rest of the, <laughs> the, rest of the world? You know, the, the, the whole world is in flames right now with everything that's going on. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just a matter of they, they, they were virtue signaling it for a long time by becoming sanctuary cities and, yeah, all refugees welcome here and all that. And when you actually say, okay, well, then put your money where your mouth is, and then they realize, like, oh, we can't actually, we can't actually facilitate that. And it's, it's like, well, of course, you know, you can't just continue getting thousands and thousands of people. Uh, and and you're, the money has to come from somewhere. We've already seen budget cuts in New York City. Uh, they're talking about budget cuts in Chicago. Uh, it, it, so it, it, it's just like a perfect storm of, of all their bad ideas being shoved in their faces. Uh, and, and I would say that it took a lot longer for the blue cities to actually start facing like the weight of everything. I thought it was going to happen sooner, but we really saw that explode uh, during last summer in 2023. I mean, it, it, it kind of happened pretty quickly. And it's just because it became a problem too big to ignore and a problem too big to hide just because the numbers were, were, were just continuing to increase. And they're obviously still increasing uh, today. So as we're going into this election, I mean, that's why when with like the Iowa caucus with among Republican voters, immigration and the border crisis is their number two issue, like right behind the economy, which is affected by the immigration and border crisis. Right. I mean, and obviously there's other factors with that too, but the fact that that was the number two issue, I, I understandably among Republicans, but the fact that it was that top of mind when people went to go vote of who they want to help fix that, that really speaks volumes because it's no, it's definitely no longer just a border state issue. Like it is, it is a fact that because of this, every state is a border state. 
Yeah, and you and select others should be applauded for, you know, putting people's attention on these issues because, you know, you've physically been out there and, and kind of showing what's happening. And, you know, that's definitely caused a righteous reaction among, you know, the American population. I wanted to also ask you about the uh, the drug cartel issue or, you know, the whatever, however people want to describe them. It seems that like the conversation in the U.S. is like a very uncomfortable conversation about what to do about the drug cartels because they're so integrated into Mexican society that there seems to be like this cultural separation because in the U.S., you know, if you saw like the GOP primary, everyone's just competing over who is going to bomb them harder, you know, and, and nuke the cartels and whatnot. So it's like very much like they are druggy gangsters and we need to impose kinetic action upon them. But like, you know, I think that I wonder, do you have any insight into like how people on the other side of the border view the cartel or like if you have any ideas for how they should kind of be understood? Because I think in the U.S. it's just like these are evil criminals. And if only we had, you know, we just blow them all up that, you know, we can kind of fix Mexico this way. Do you like kind of um, uh, empathize with those sentiments? Like what? how do you what do you get the sense of like especially dealing like how they're so integrated into the border issue. How, how, like, how do you propose we kind of like tackle this, um, this, um, you know, separation um, in understanding and how Americans should be viewing how these cartels operate? Is it like a political vacuum that's been created? Like if you have any uh, insight into that? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the cartels are, definitely just it's a complex issue that goes back at least the modern times back in the 80s right mm-hmm. um like today but even from the 80s to today they, they've evolved so much uh, where before they were more behind the scenes um in it, it really exploded when felipe calderon actually started to take kinetic action you know actually did an actual war on drugs um right and we've seen that, like that necessarily doesn't work, and it doesn't work in part because of how just deeply corrupt Mexico is because of the influence with all the money that they make the cartels. Uh, I mean, it is essentially a narco state. Um, I, I definitely understand the the for the United States and people advocating the need to do more about it. Now, I'm not saying we need to go all star spangled banner across the Rio Grande into Mexico. But what I am saying is that the current approach that we've been doing against the cartels for decades now also is not working. And it's under the auspice of law enforcement. Like it's a law enforcement action, not a military action. Um, but it, it doesn't work that way. It, it, you know, just trying to take out a cartel head here, here and there. I mean, they're so structured and they are organized. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's also dysfunction with, and that's a whole other thing. But they are organized enough to where if you do take out a main leader – you take out, you take down a whole cell. Another one will either take its place, or they already have people to take their spot to keep the continuity going. Essentially, um, so I'm not saying again. I'm not saying that we need to invade Mexico, but because of how much more powerful they are, in part because of the border crisis, because they're making billions of dollars just through human trafficking and human smuggling, which was not the case before. Because, like I said, like they're no longer worried about people getting caught. 
um, and so many more people are being funneled through Mexico. Uh, but it's it's just that they 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 are a, a, a paramilitary and and they do horrible things in in Mexico that that when you kind of look at it, it's like well this kind of looks like terrorism. Um, what I will say is that I mean in obviously they're not just on the Mexican side, they, they do operate here in the United States. So the other side to that is like, okay, well, if we do treat them as foreign terrorists and we do start taking kinetic action, um, we, we shouldn't underestimate their, their ability to fight back because like I said, they already have their cells. They already have their operatives here. They already have the gangs that they work with. So they could easily carry out attacks within the United States if, if their backs are against the wall and they just figure, well, you know, screw the gringos. We're going we're gonna to make them feel the pain as well. Um, you know, that's not the fear monger or anything, but that's just, that's just, that's how much power that they have and the influence that they have within Mexico and, and to an extent the United States, because for like, for example, uh, when I was first talking to people about where they were going, you know, okay, you, you like, you get processed and you get released, where are you going? I kept hearing North Carolina, North Carolina, North Carolina. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. So I asked an old DHS contact of mine. I said, why am I hearing North Carolina? It's like, well, actually because of some of those counties or sanctuary counties the cartels moved in and have greater influence and so they direct people to go to their jurisdiction so that they can work and continue to pay off their debt right um that that's just an example of how their influence extends just beyond the border so it, it it's a it's very complex i kind of see both sides of like of yes we need to do actual military action uh or you know but w the current way of addressing them is not working and that is in part because they do get money through drugs they do get money through gun running south um so you know we the, the our nation has a role in in their power obviously but um you know the answer isn't then to go like, well we need gun control so that the gun stuff going south is like no that no that's done that's not how it works but i i think i think we need to really look at and admit that the current way addressing the cartels and the drug problem as a whole um it is not working and is actually backfiring um so i i don't know what that means in terms of okay well if we do military action do we act unilaterally do you know do we collaborate with the mexican government that is corrupted and you know we might not actually get what we want out of that yeah. um that that i don't know it, it's very very complex and it can go and it, it and it can backfire in in a hundred different ways yeah, I, I agree. It's uh, it's it's a mess over there, and like you know, because I think that it like a lot of the population, of course, finds it suitable from time to time to work with these cartels because you know you're just kind of trying to make a living. You know, so for some people, it's not about like this moral decision. It's just it's just survival. You, you want to make money for your family, and you want nicer things, and this is the path. And sometimes, you know. You, in America, we're still a lot of us are still in you know decent enough shape to be able to afford an apartment, you know, to provide for our kids. But um, in developing countries, it's like you know sometimes you know depending on where you're situated geographically, you only have a couple options. And if the cartel's telling you to do something, you might want to do it. So you know, like I I don't necessarily blame the people involved, which comes back to like the conversation about border security. Um, you know, I remember studying the Cold War in grad school and remembering that the U.S. was trying to infiltrate the Soviet Union physically with spies. And 
Moscow kept killing all our spies and finding all of them, basically. Um, they had an incredible intelligence apparatus and, you know, border security. And Russia has a massive, massive border. Um, so it just like always baffles me when people say that the border really, you know, it's, it's too big. You know, we can't secure the border. It's just, there's just too much going on. Do you think that like, if there was a real effort put forward by say, you know, Trump gets in, back into office and you have Republicans who want to support secure the border in the Senate and the House? Do you think that like they're like if you test say like the national the state national guards and federal resources to secure the border? Do you think that we would we could drastically reduce illegal immigration? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and I'm not saying that the border before Biden was all sunshine, rainbows and unicorns. No. Um, but you talk to the people down here, as I have for for these past few years, and they will always say that things were trending in the right direction under Trump. Right. Uh, like I said, there, there should have been, you know, we would like to see more concrete follow through uh, under his administration, but it was going in the right direction. Um and so really, when, when you ask them, well, what needs to change? A lot of them just says, well, we need to go back to the policies that we had just a few years ago. And that's why when the Democrats are saying, well, Republicans didn't want to vote for more border patrol agents or they didn't want to give them the more funding. It's like, they, that's not what they need. They, they, okay, maybe they could use a few more border patrol agents, uh, but the, it would help them more if the policies actually allowed them to actually secure the border. I mean, that that alone is leagues ahead of what, can actually be done right um they that that's all they're asking for i mean the, the border patrol union the the frontline guys so we wouldn't even necessarily even need the national guard uh to to help them um maybe to augment them here and there and not have but not have these massive deployments because the policies and the laws really do affect how people think they are able to get into the country legally so that's why when people start talking about amnesty or, you know, for example, this recent Senate Republican bill where it gives them even thousands of more work permits. I mean, that that's gonna that alone draws people because they're thinking, well, not only can we get in, but we, we can actually make a good life and we can actually uh, have an easier time living in the United States. So you just gotta even, just on the messaging alone, as soon as the messaging changes, people are gonna respond to that because it is dangerous to go through Mexico with everything and, and even even when they make it to the border they can still drown um in the rio grande um or die out in the desert so you you have to de-incentivize people to do that and when you, when the push factors from their native country wherever they're coming from i mean that is a strong incentive alone but when the united states federal government is also pulling them with you know with all these different things of course for them it's a no-brainer it's a no-brainer decision so um like I said earlier, where, yes, if a Republican takes back the White House, it's going to be a massive cleanup after they, quote unquote, like secure the border more. Um, but it's definitely possible because it was happening. It was happening late, but it, it was happening under the Trump administration. Yeah, it's just um, like I just keep coming back to the to absolute scale of this problem. Like I, I think like, you know, if people could truly conceptualize what it means for millions and millions and millions of people to be entering the country every year. I, I think that like, that's just why there aren't like riots all over Texas. I, I just think it's it, crazy that, you know, this, this issue is, is not 
being addressed by the government right now, the Biden administration is just, you know, the, even the rhetoric is weak. But, you know, I kind of wanted to pivot in the last few minutes into um, what, what do you think, uh, what's your plan for like the rest of the week while you're down there? So it's a wait and see. Um, well, we're, I'm going to be, uh, since I'm here in Eagle Pass, I'm going to start interviewing residents and just say, hey, what do you think about Governor Abbott's latest actions? What do you think about Democrats calling for Biden to federalize the National Guard so that they stop doing what they're doing? Um, I think we're going to have some pretty interesting answers. Uh, but it's also to wait and see what, what happens with with what the federal government responds. I will say that there isn't uh, a big concern among the Texas state troopers and the National Guardsmen. There isn't a big concern that the feds are going to come in guns blazing and forcibly take back the park. I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, you never know, right? Um, I think I think they're going to try to continue fighting out in court. Um, so it, it's it's like I said, it's a bit of a Mexican standoff <laughs> right now because because I mean it, it it would be I mean optics wise it would be totally bad on the Biden administration to federalize the National Guard and then order them to undo everything they're doing right now, which is essentially opening the border, right? And to do that in election year, I think would be a very poor choice. Now, this is an administration filled with bad ideas. So again, I don't put it past them. But um, it, it's just, it's interesting. And, and again, this is only one spot along the border. The rest of the border is still on fire. And, you know, we don't, the, the amount of fortification that's going into Shelter Park is not happening the rest of the 2000, you know, or so miles. So uh, even if, even when Shelter Park is completely fortified and dropping or and illegal crossings drop, there's still all these other areas, even in the same sector that are still going to continue to see uh, high numbers of people illegally crossing. So this this isn't going to go away. Um, I do suspect that as the year drags on, we're going to see more people illegally cross because of the election, because they want to make sure that they enter the country while Biden is still in the White House. Um, and yeah, if Trump pulls off a win, then between November and January, we're going to see a massive bum rush uh, of people coming in uh, because, again, they want to get in while the policy is still get it favorable. To them, so um, we're only in January, and already this the border is is still number one uh, issue, uh, and and it's not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, I agree. I think it will continue to be. So, so what else are you working on over at your Substack? So uh, I, I'm working on uh, more protest coverage, just because with everything going on with with Hamas and and Palestine, uh, one thing that I really have wanted to emphasize to people is that. Because, you know, there's a lot of conservatives who, who say, you know, that's not a problem. We can't, you know, we can't get any more involved than we already are, which to a certain extent, I'm, I, I agree. But the thing is that there's a lot of people within the United States that view uh, the United States as the problem. And they're going to make it their, they're going to make it your problem as well to, you know, with all the traffic disruptions, with all the sabotage and kind of all this stuff. And so really it, it's, it's. Uh, you know, having covering all the riots back in 2020 and the far left back then, I'm kind of getting that same kind of vibe and seeing them getting galvanized and motivated just as they were back in 2020. And again, as we're going into an election year, that's going to really kind of supercharge uh, their their actions. So I'm going to continue kind of covering uh, that uh, as well. So, I mean, just, just on the border and inner city chaos with, with the far left, it kind of just seems like we're, we're, we're having Groundhog Day uh, four, four years later, uh, that, that's, that's really kind of the, the main focus. And that's why I launched the Substack because they're, that I'm going to be 
all over the place <laughs> and I need to have, I need to have the freedom to, to be able to do that. So it's going to be yeah, interesting here. It, it's an amazing platform. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if Trump gets back in office, um, at this time next year, I think that the left will only be more motivated to burn shit down everywhere. So you'll definitely have plenty of stuff to, to cover. I think, you know, perhaps that, you know, Biden or Biden's handlers being in charge is the only thing that's keeping them from going from like blocking traffic to uh, torching cities again, but we'll see. But uh, Julio, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. You go, you can go to juliorosas.substack.com. Um, his Substack's called Mostly Peaceful. So you can, you can type it in to Google and find it there. Um, yeah, thanks again. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.